Thank you, Seth, for that worship and also for that prayer. I appreciate that, dear brother, very much. We're going to be in Judges 13 today. Um, Let me also start with prayer myself, however. Bow with me. Father, I do echo that prayer that Seth just prayed for me. Lord, I pray that I would speak in wisdom and I would speak in truth and that it would be loving and bold and courageous. Lord, I pray, of course, that you would please help me not to add to it nor take away from it. Lord, help me not be like the um, quote that was read this morning, Lord, by Butch. Help me not to seek uh, prosperity or popularity. Lord, I know that in standing on the truth, I'll be more closely aligned with the brothers of old who suffered uh, persecution and poverty. Lord, my persecution and my poverty is laughable compared to theirs, though, but I pray that you would give us all the boldness and the heart and the Spirit's power that we could endure such punishment, should we have to, for the truth. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to be creating within us that type of character this morning. And Lord, some probably need to come to know you in the first place at all, and I pray that you would be using your word this morning to draw sinners to yourself, Lord. You are mighty to save, and I pray this in Jesus' perfect name, amen. Well, welcome again. It's good to see all of you. I've titled the message this morning, Responsible with God's Miracle, Responsible with God's Miracle, chapter 13 covers the uh, miraculous birth of our next judge, Samson. I wanted to go ahead and skip right to Samson. Yes, uh, that means we skipped over Jephthah. His life is definitely worthy of, of study as well. But I wanted to go ahead and get right to Samson. He's actually covered in four chapters. Quite a lot of the book of Judges covers this one judge. So God gives a lot of time and attention to him, and so we will as well. Responsible with God's miracle. I've titled it that because we're going to see this miracle in this chapter. But a miracle is, is essentially this. This is a good definition I found online, I thought. A miracle is a, is a divine work of God that transcends, that means goes beyond, human understanding and inspires wonder, displays the greatness of God, and causes people to recognize that God is active in the world. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to make anyone um, say anything out loud or, or give your example. But if you think... If you believe that you've seen a miracle yourself or been the recipient of a miracle, raise your hand. Do you believe you've ever seen a miracle? Okay. For those listening online, that's about maybe 10 or 15% of the audience raised their hand. Maybe 15% of the audience raised their hand. I personally am not sure I've ever witnessed one with my own eyes. However, because I believe this book, (laughs) I know they're real. And I don't have to see one to believe that they exist. I just have not had the privilege of seeing one myself. I want to try to convince you, though, today from this text, because a lot of us seek miracles. It's very common in our society even to chase after miracles, though we can't uh, create them. But there are lots of books about miracles and things like that, and it naturally ignites our fascination because miracles are what we call supernatural what does that mean it be beyond 
the natural, and all of us live in the natural, our, our day-to-day world is natural. And so anything that's a bit more exciting than just the norm fascinates us and attracts us. And so people are naturally drawn to the miraculous. We like to read about them. Even I like to read about missionary biographies and hear different miracles that the Lord did as these people are reaching unreached people groups and we sometimes see God doing things that he wouldn't normally do. And so the miraculous excites us. However, I want to convince you this morning that miracles bring responsibilities along with them. If you are the recipient of a miracle or see a miracle, you actually then have a responsibility when it comes to that miracle, and we'll talk more about that in a moment. Let's look at the text here, Judges chapter 13, and it starts off this way, a very common way to start a chapter in the book of Judges, as we've seen. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Ah, now we're hearing about the Philistines. This isn't our first time to hear about them in the book of Judges, but we know that the Philistines are sort of the the main bad guys in the Old Testament. We, we hear about them, it seems, more than others. And it's because what Samson here begins, Samuel prays and continues that on. Samuel's life is even involved during the time of the Philistines. We see him praying against them and that God would, would rescue his people from them. And then we remember, of course, David in his military might fighting against them as well. And so they cover a lot of the history portion of the Old Testament that we would even come into would we keep reading on, right? Once we get into the history portions like First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, these cover the Philistines a lot because those happen during that time as well. And so this is the backdrop to what is about to happen. We need to know that the Philistines were in control at this time, and the bad guys, because a lot of Samson's life deals with troubling these people, making it hard for these people to take full domination over the people of Israel. So in verse 2, it says, There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren, and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. Why? For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin. See that word? He shall begin. He didn't fully complete it like some of the other judges did, but he begins to save Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, a man came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I did not know, I mean, I I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me, but he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now, if you're wondering... Or if you're thinking, ah, I know why the angel of the Lord told her not to drink wine or or strong drink. That's because when you're pregnant with a baby, you're not supposed to consume alcohol because it affects the baby. Yes, you're right. And that may have been part of the motive. However, 
What it really was, was that this child would be a Nazarite from the womb. We're going to talk about that in a second, what that means. This woman, however, we're not even given her name here in this chapter. This woman is barren, however, we're told. This woman shares this condition with other women that have been visited by God in the Old Testament and even in the New who were barren. Who were some of them? You might remember that the angel appeared to Sarah and Abraham as well in Genesis 18. You might also recall that Hannah was barren and she miraculously conceived a child as well. You might also recall that there was another barren woman in the New Testament named Elizabeth. The angel didn't appear to her, but the angel did appear to her husband. And with the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. And so we see this happening again. We, we see that the Lord visits and, and blesses these barren women with children, and these children will be used of God to create change. And this is miraculous. This is outside the natural. Why? Because naturally, these women could not have children for one reason or another. And so God does a miracle in each of these women's lives, yes? And now we have the wife of Manoah receiving this visit as well. And the angel made clear to her, a miracle is going to happen to you. He tells her news she already knows. He tells her, you're barren. She knows that. But he says, you're barren and you've borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. There in verse 3, see that? He states the truth and then he states what's really true. What he can make true and this miracle that she will conceive and bear a son. And then he starts to tell her though. What's he tell her right after that? Her responsibility. Her responsibility to this child. Behold, you're going to conceive and bear a son. Look at verse 4. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. He's going to be a Nazarite. She had a responsibility after she was told this miracle is going to happen to you. This miracle is going to happen. And then now this is what you have to do. I'm going to do a miracle, but you have the responsibility to take care that it stays well with what I've begun. Nazarite vows were usually taken voluntarily. What does that mean? It means you signed up for it. That's what Nazarite vows usually were. There were some way that you were going to devote yourself to God in a more special, a more focused, a more abnormal way than the normal, and to show that you were under that vow, you didn't cut your hair. We even believe the Apostle Paul was under one of these vows once because in the book of Acts, he goes and cuts his hair, makes a symbol out of it, it's done in the temple even if I recall correctly. We have a scholar on the book of Acts in our midst, um, 
Clint Kaiser. His teachings for that book, so we'll have to ask him later. I'm sure he knows all about that book. This vow was not totally uncommon. And according to number six, though we don't have a record of this in the Old Testament, even women could take these vows. A Nazarite vow, it was called, usually voluntarily done. But God was the one who placed this upon Samson. And in order for Samson's Nazarite vow to stay secure and pure before God, even his mother had to be conscientious of what she consumed since it affects her baby. Now, it affects her baby biologically, naturally, but it also affects this baby in a more spiritual way. Why? Because God also, in Numbers chapter 6, was very, very clear that no grapes, fresh or dried, no grape skin, not even grape seeds in any way were to be consumed by someone under a Nazarite vow. And of course, just as a good Jew, he was supposed to stay away from unclean foods as well. This is why the mother's told this too. In order for her to stay pure before God and in a right relationship in his eyes, she can't break his commands. And so she's told that as well. So mother, she says, he's told to her rather, you have to obey these commands. These are your responsibilities. Yes, a miracle is going to happen to you, but you have to do this in order that this spiritually can stay true about this child. But we also know that even, like I said, biologically, just naturally, this would be good for the baby not to consume alcoholic drinks. We know that even many of you women in the room, when, when, when you became pregnant, you know that you started taking um, prenatal vitamins, started eating differently, maybe didn't consume as much caf- caffeine, Um, many women will also stay away from nicotine, of course, alcohol and narcotics. And we know we've seen the results that happen to children when the mothers don't do that. When the mothers do consume nicotine or alcohol or narcotics, it does affect the baby and have a a lifelong effect negatively upon the child, of course, because anything the mother takes in affects the child. And of course, that's why good mothers want to do what's best for their children because that's natural and that's good. When we go against that, we start to change the order of what's true and right and good is when we get mothers who don't care at all about what happens to their baby. They only care about themselves because they've twisted what's true. They've twisted the word of God and become a law to themselves, which is why we see things like abortion, of course, in our society too, because the truth has been pushed away. God's not revered, loved, cared for in any way. There's a song that came out recently Uh, This rapper, she's got a video that she shoots of herself in front of a Planned Parenthood. And she's boasting. And the song lyrics are this, F-E-F-R-E-E, baby daddy free. That means I ain't got a baby coming out of me. So I'm A-B-O-R-T-I-N-G, 
On the way to the clinic, I forgot the plan B. Let's go. I got murder on my mind. Let's go. I got murder on my mind. I'm BDF, baby daddy free. I ain't got a baby coming out of me. Let's go. I've got murder on my mind. Boasting about murdering her baby. This is what becomes of those who throw the word of God away and become a God to themselves. They can only live for their own pleasure and even admittedly murder and make money for it and get thousands of likes on Twitter. Irresponsible with her deeds, irresponsible with her words, being fully responsible, however, for her actions one day before the day, before the throne of God on the day of wrath. She will not escape that. We pray, however, of course, that she will turn. But this is an example of a mother who does not regard the life of her child, who does not regard the words of God, and who is so far away from even caring about miracles, miracle births, she wants to get rid of them. This is a beautiful example, however. This family and the book of Judges, who's faithful. This is a beautiful example of what I'm looking at out in this audience, too. Though we are thin in number, guess what? We are in a time not too terribly different from the time of Judges. Not too different. This is a beautiful example in the book of Judges. We come across this family that we're going to see in a second does regard the word of God as precious, does pray to the Lord, does want his guidance. We don't see much of that in the book of Judges. We come across this and we should say, wow, and we do when we come to this chapter. And so this woman is told, here's a miracle and here's your responsibility with that miracle. Now let's look at verse 8 because then we get the husband's response. Remember, this man, this angel of the Lord, a mysterious character, we've talked about him. Right now, he's in the appearance of a man, a very wonderful man. He's going to have this wonderful presence about him, we're told. But again, in the presence of a man for now. Listen, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, this is verse 8, Oh Lord, please let the man of God who you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born and God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman and she, as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, again, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly, told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife, came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? He said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true... What's to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Now it's interesting here. Notice that in Manoah's prayer in verse 8, he asked two things in his prayer. He makes two requests. Number one in verse 8, please let the man of God return. That's what he prays and asks of God. 
And then he says, and teach us what we are to do with the child. All right. Did God answer both of those petitions? Well, he answered the first one, didn't he? Because the man of God comes back. The man of God does come back, as we see in verse 9. But when he returns, does he mention anything about the second request? This is what Butch was asking. What's the answer, Cohen? Are you going to answer this? Because he says in his second request there in verse 9, let me find it again. Um, I'm sorry, at the end of verse 8, and tell us what are we to do with the child. Then the man comes back, and he says in verse 12, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life, and what's his mission? So he's basically saying to this angel, what are we supposed to do with this child? Please tell us what we're supposed to do with this child. He didn't tell them anything that they are to do with the child, only what the mother was to do while she was pregnant with him. Why? Number one, our responsibility with God's will is simply to obey what we've been told. Our responsibility with God's will is simply to obey what we've been told. We as humans naturally want to say, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? As children will often tell you too. You, you, you tell a child, hey, I want you to go do this, but what about this? What about that? What about this? It's kind of like Peter. Remember at the very end of John, he says to Jesus, but what about this man? Talking about John. And he says, What if I want him to remain until I come back? What is that to you? You follow me. And so sometimes when even our children are in our home, I'll tell this one, hey, I need you to go in the living room and pick up that mess. And they'll say, what about Levi? And I say, okay, Peter, listen, I didn't tell you. You do what you're told. I call them Peter and they know why. But what about this man? Okay, Peter, you just do what you're told. And so the angel does that with them. Manoah, what should we do with the child? Okay, make sure your wife does not consume anything of the vine, essentially. Make sure she doesn't do this, make sure she doesn't do that. And that's all he tells them. Why? Because that's all that they needed to know at that point. The second reason why he doesn't tell him the answer, I believe, is because the answer was already contained in the word of God that was already written at the hand of Moses in the law. Numbers chapter 6. God gave the people of Israel a whole chapter about what you are to do if you're a Nazarite. So the answer was already there. Butch is nodding his head. He's saying, that's what I thought too. It feels good, right? Whenever the teacher tells you something, you say, that's, I was thinking that too. God had already revealed the answer to them in his word, and so therefore, he did not say it again. There were times when I was a baby Christian, and I was wondering if certain things were true, if certain things were right. If you've ever been with us on a Wednesday night, I've already shared this with the Wednesday night crowd probably more than once. I sometimes forget, and so I know that we learn very well by repetition. We just do. As humans, we learn really well by repetition. So it's good for you in some ways that your pastor is slightly forgetful 
because it means that you hear some of the truths over and over again, and then that just solidifies them in your head. So thank God for a forgetful pastor, right? When I was a young Christian, I was eager to learn, and I was eager to be around God's people. Anybody that was waving a Bible around, I thought, they must be my people. And so I started following a certain teacher that I thought was on the up and up, and this teacher was coming to Atlanta, and I went to that conference, not really a conference, just a big meeting, huge meeting, thousands of people there. And this teacher, I don't know why I'm, Joyce Meyer, I don't know why I'm like trying to keep it all secret here. Joyce Meyer, when I first got saved, I listened to her. I liked her. Didn't know much about her yet. So I went to one of her conferences. And the, I'm going to tell you, the um, music time was amazing. Oh my goodness. Huh, you know, like dozens of people up on stage singing, playing these instruments. It was, it was amazing. Thousands of people singing. Really great. Then she started teaching. There was a certain point in the message where she was really pushing hard that we all speak in tongues. I was a baby Christian. I didn't know much about that. I didn't even know if it was wrong. I knew this, that as a baby Christian, God had been correcting me a lot and changing my way of thinking because it needed to be changed. I had just come out of the world in a horribly sinful state for many of years. I'd piled up my sins and piled up a worldly way of thinking, and so I needed to be deprogrammed and God was deprogramming me and reprogramming me with the word of God, and it was good for me. And so I was in the mode of knowing that I need to be reprogrammed here. And so I was willing to be reprogrammed. And so she started pushing everyone to speak in tongues. And of course, I wasn't going to fake anything, but I wasn't feeling like I need to speak in tongues here. And she was saying, just say anything that comes to your mind, just shout it out. And in this audience that was tame and normal prior to that, there was this crazy uproar, even sounds of like animal sounds, people hooping and hollering and doing things, people running up and down the aisles. And this was a double-decker sort of stadium thing, and it was mayhem. And I remember feeling uncomfortable, and I remember feeling, I don't know if this is right. However, I am in a reprogramming mode. Maybe this is right. Maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I need to adjust to this. I don't know. And so, Lord, if, it's, if I need to be adjusted, adjust me. And so I got home that night still thinking and feeling, I don't know if that's right, but praying, God, please let me know whether or not that was right. Because if that was right, if that's how we're supposed to do it, then make me comfortable with it. Because right now I'm not. I remember waking up the next morning feeling like, no, that's not right. But that's just a feeling. Can't always go in our feelings, can we? Thank the Lord. I'd been walking through the New Testament trying to either listen to it or, or read it all. And I had a long commute to school at that time. And so I would listen to the audio Bible. Praise Jesus. While I was in the midst of praying that prayer for a few days... Is this right? If it is, I want to be corrected. I happen to be. Just so happened. Just a crazy coincidence. In 1 Corinthians, and I happen to also be coming up to 1 Corinthians 14, and I happen to hear 1 Corinthians 14, 27. You know why I remember the verse? Because I was looking 
and praying for the truth of that verse that, that it taught me. I, was, I wanted to know what was true here, and so I'm in the Word. If there's any who speak in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, and each done in order. And if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 27. And that was 20 years ago. You know why it's burned my DNA now, my spiritual DNA? Because I wanted to know the truth about that topic. And so I was in search mode for it. Why am I bringing that up? Manoah, I'm not going to answer you. I want you to hunger and thirst for the answer so that when you find it, it'll be burned in your DNA. I can also recall that when I was a baby Christian, I just had the curious question, were the Ten Commandments in the ark of God? Were they? I asked a loved one. She said, I don't know. So I said, well, I'm going to look. So I dug and I dug, and guess what? Exodus chapter 40, verse 20, will tell you what's in the ark. You know what I found out? Not only are the Ten Commandments in there, Aaron's staff that miraculously budded on its own, and a jar of manna. They were all kept in the ark. You know why I know Exodus 40, 20, why it's now burned, that reference is burned in me? I wanted to know the answer to that, and I dug and searched until I found it. I think a God just zapped it. Oh, no, Cohen, this and this is in there. Oh, cool, thanks, God. Going to dump that out later on today, probably, as I forget everything else I'm told in the morning. By the afternoon, it's gone. It's getting worse as I get older. Some of you are thinking, wait till you, wait till you get my age, young buck. I think the angel didn't answer him about how should we raise this child? What should we do with this child? What's going on with this whole Nazarite thing? It's because God already had the answer written out in his word. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that they may be filled. Sometimes God wants you a bit hungrier for the truth. You know why? Because then you'll go after it. I sometimes ask people, are you in the word of God? And some people say, no, I'm not. And of course, I don't shame them for that. I say, can I encourage you to be in it more? Please. You know what? I've never had to ask somebody, do you eat food? Do you eat? I imagine someone like doing, no, I don't. I don't eat. I've never gotten the no to that one because I never asked the question, but we eat. You know why? Because we get what? Hungry. And so we eat. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you, you should read your Bible more. You know what I'm going to tell you? Pray that God will make you hungrier because then you'll consume it on your own. And I pray, Lord, make us hungry for the truth because then we'll search for it and we'll have things like 1 Corinthians 14, 27 and Exodus 40, 20 burned in there because we searched it out ourselves. We were hungry for it and we found it ourselves and then it's unforgettable. It's unforgettable. And so I think that's why the angel didn't answer him. Our responsibility is to observe what we've already been told. No, let me reword it. Our responsibility with God's word is simply to obey what we've been told, and then our responsibility is to observe what's, what's already been written. 
obey what we've been told, observe what's already been written. Amen? And that makes it so simple, doesn't it? It makes it so simple. If your what if is not answered in the word of God, well then guess what? It's not a what if you need to know right now. We're going to have to trust God with that answer. But there is so very much in the word of God that you don't yet know. And I'll even say maybe you haven't even yet discovered. And when you discover it on your own, oh my word, then it's yours. Then it's yours. Think of others in the scriptures who, like this couple, have experienced God's miracles, but then also had responsibilities with those mighty works. Because this couple is going to experience a miracle, but they're told, and these are your responsibilities. She will not consume this, she will not consume that, because it will affect her baby, which then will affect this miraculous plan that I've got for this baby. Think of other people who've had miracles and then had responsibilities following those miracles. Think about Adam and Eve. God created the earth. God created the Garden of Eden, placed them in it. How did he place them in it? Well, first of all, he did the miracle of forming some dust in the shape of a man and then breathing on it. And it became a living being and then causes a sleep to fall upon Adam and does this surgery where he takes out a rib, closes it up, and then forms a human being from the rib. And they have a responsibility to take care of the garden and not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's it. They had that responsibility to keep things happy, holy, pure, and enjoy these miracles that had just happened around them. And Adam and Eve had the responsibility to obey what they've been told. Think about Moses. Moses experiences the Lord at this burning bush, this bush that's engulfed in flames but not consumed. God sends him back to Egypt to free his people. And what does God tell him? Stand back and watch. I'm just going to do it before your eyes. Get some popcorn and it's going to be awesome. You just, you just get to watch, Moses. No. Moses and Aaron both had responsibilities. Whenever there was a plague that was about to happen, God said, Moses, go in his presence and say this and do this. Sometimes it even involved things like getting soot and throwing it up in the air. I mean, he had to do all these different things. He had responsibilities with God's miracles. Had Moses not obeyed, had Aaron not obeyed, they would not have seen those miracles. They would not have thwarted God's plans. He would have got a different Moses and Aaron. But then they would have also had to obey. Think about Mary and Joseph, the recipients of what I'm going to call the greatest miracle. Even after Jesus is born, they still take their newly born little Jewish boy and get him circumcised on the eighth day as the law commanded. They take him to the temple as the law commanded. They offer sacrifices, a pair of turtle doves, as the law commanded. Why does he get lost in Jerusalem when he's 12? They're not from Jerusalem. Why were they there? 
They were obeying the law of the Lord that says you're supposed to turn to Jerusalem at the Passover. And it says, as was their custom. They were given Jesus Christ as a baby and still obeyed the law for everything regarding that special child. Had they not? Had they not? He could not have been the perfect law keeper. He wouldn't have been a proper, real Jew had his parents not done those things for him in those early years. Did you ever think about that? Mary and Joseph had responsibilities when it came to that miracle. Just like Manoah and his wife. Earlier, I asked you to raise your hand if you've ever experienced a miracle. I would love to hear about those. Of course, I won't make you stand up and tell them. However, I would love to hear them from you. And not all of you raised your hand. And I know why. Probably because of the way I worded it. But did you know that if you're sitting here this morning as a Christian, Trisha's nodding. She knows where I'm going. That you've experienced the miracle of the new birth. And I call it a miracle because, number one, it transcends human understanding, as we talked about, inspires wonder, as we talked about, displays the greatness of God, as I talked about, and causes people to recognize God's activity in the world. Because you did not change your own heart. You did not draw yourself to the Lord. You did not grant yourself repentance leading to life. You didn't create faith to well up in your dark heart where there previously was none. That's an act of God. And it's all of God. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18. And I'll, I'll end with this. But who knows what that means? Sometimes pastors say that and you just don't know. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I can, I, can, I can remember finding this too as an early Christian and thinking, what a verse. And writing it and putting it up on my wall because I thought that's, that's one of the ones I want to memorize. 2 Corinthians 5.17, let's just look at the first one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What an encouraging verse. That was good for me because I was just coming out of all that guilt and darkness and shame and sin. And when I read this, I was encouraged that no, Cohen, no, no, no. You're a new Cohen. The old one, it says, has passed away. Away, what a wonderful truth. The old you that you feel such shame for, that you's gone. You're a new creation. Did you do that to yourself? Or did you create the new you? I don't care what all the self-help books tell you. With self-help, you're just left helpless, actually. You don't help yourself into the kingdom you're made a citizen by the Father who adopts you in by faith. Amen? And he does that for undeserving sinners every day. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. But then look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then did what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you see that responsibility part there? Miracle. 
Responsibility. Just as we saw as announced to this couple. Miracle, a baby's coming to you, and here's your responsibility. The dad's just wondering, how do I raise him? How do I raise him? I've already told you. It's in the Word of God. You've experienced a miracle as well. What do I do with it? You have a ministry, a ministry of reconciliation, giving out to others. During announcements, I'll I'll share with you an opportunity I had just a few days ago to share the gospel with a lady. And it just sort of happened. But I'm so thankful it did. And I'm so thankful I was ready to tell her the truth. I was ready. Because I know it. And I just freely shared it. Church, you've been born again into a living hope. Share that truth with others. Because we have people celebrating murder in this world. We're going to be a louder voice. Celebrate life and light. Think about how wars work. I want you to think about this. Not modern day wars, because you, you need to understand we're an anomaly. This era we live in, we're an anomaly. That's a fancy word for not common, very strange happening, kiddos, if you're wondering. Modern day warfare has never happened like we've done it, like we do it now. Drones flying around, shoot this missile at this place, boom, and they're gone. No face-to-face. You just blow things up from, with satellites. It's not been like that. This is an anomaly. 200 years before this, let me tell you how wars worked. Men stood in lines and ran at each other with swords and axes and shields and things like that. The first and most bravest ones were in the front And they just died. They just did. They just died. But guess what? There was a mass of men behind them that you couldn't stop. You couldn't. Once that wave of other people hit you, you're toast. You might be able to pick off some of the first ones because they're out there and they're in front and they're loud and they're wild and they're swinging things. You can get that one. Why am I saying this? We're far too quiet when it comes to the truth. We're a lot like the people of Judges in the chapters, a few chapters back, that hid in the caves when the bad guys came. The bold ones that run out in this culture, in this woke, God-hating culture, they will get chopped up, lose jobs, get fines, things like that. And other countries actually get killed Yes, but guess what? There's a wave of us coming behind them that you can't stop. But only if we speak the truth and stand on it. Only if we do that. Amen? And that's our responsibility. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this truth. Grateful for the fact that you do miraculous things in this world to bring about good and truth and change. Because you do that, You also create people who've been born again and changed and brought into this miraculous family. And Lord Jesus, you teach us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we have that responsibility to carry it out. Lord, I pray that we would be lovingly bold to speak the truth. Help us to be less ashamed. I pray that you would also help us to live holy lives so that the devil doesn't get a foothold 
and make us think, how dare you speak the truth? Don't you remember what you did? Lord, help us to also believe the truth that says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we need not carry that guilt and weight and shame so that we can gladly speak the truth without feeling like we're somehow hypocrites for doing so because if we're in Christ, we're clothed in his righteousness. What a miracle. Now help us to tell others about it. In Jesus' name, amen.